the bridge between the synchronous and asynchronous environment where students are posting key takeaways from the live session, asking questions, faculty are following up with additional observations and they're using what's coming out of the participation post in order to further scaffold instruction as the course continues. So I think it's a nice balance. And in those other kind of signature pieces, faculty feedback to students on their work is an incredibly, mostly asynchronous <laughs> component of course instruction. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder, and I'm here with my co-host, Brad Garner. Hi, Brad. Hi, Tiffany. Glad to be here. It's been a while as we've recorded on this podcast, and I'm so excited and a little giddy. I'm finding myself kind of bouncing my knee, and I know at least one of our guests has a rocking chair, she told us earlier, so she's trying to maintain that rocking, but we've got a lot of energy in the room today. We are welcoming to the show Melinda Thomas. Melinda Thomas is Director of Faculty Support and Development at the University of Southern California. She leads a team of outstanding professionals focused on providing well-supported and high-quality teaching and learning experiences in online graduate degree programs. Melinda has been serving the university since 2017 and has led the implementation of a portfolio of professional USC degree programs. She has over 10 years of teaching experience in higher education and nearly 20 years of experience in curriculum design, implementation, and faculty development and support, with a focus on best practices in online course delivery and academic administration. She has presented her research at academic conferences and published several articles and book chapters relevant to the field of education. Melinda earned a PhD in curriculum and instruction from Arizona State University, an MA in English from the University of North Carolina, Wilmington, and a BSED in education from the University of Georgia. She is also a USC faculty fellow for the leadership program through the Center for Excellence in Teaching. Hi, Melinda. Hi, Tiffany. Hi, Brad. Thanks for having Hi us. There. And Roy Schmidt. Roy O'Neill Schmidt serves as the manager of faculty development for the University of Southern California. In this role, she guides instructors in strengthening their teaching practices. She has been supporting faculty at the University of Southern California since 2018. Rory has over a decade of experience in higher education as a lecturer, adjunct professor, and administrator, and about two decades of experience working in the field of education. She has written and published journal articles, blogs, and book chapters. She also published three books with Arcadia Publishing. As a mixed methods researcher, Rory has presented her research studies at international and national academic conferences. Rory earned a PhD in curriculum and instruction from Arizona State University, an MPS in art therapy from the School of Visual Arts, and a BA in art history from Fordham University. Howdy. How's it going, y'all? Going great. This is going to be fun, partly because Brad is back to drafting our get to know you questions and his are always a lot more fun than mine. So Brad, would you kick us off? Absolutely. Love to. 
So would you rather be living in 1969 or 2069? They're thinking. I want to see what Rorden is going to say. Well, you know, I would like to live in 2069 because I want to see if there's an avatar of myself or multiple <laughs> versions of AI walking this world. So I'm curious about the future. Very good. I'll go to the other end, 1969. At least I would know from here what to expect because it's already happened. Aha. <laughs> Wise. And would you change it? Change 1969? No, change what would going to happen in the future since you already know about it. Oh, sure. I okay. mean, sure, some things. We'll let you be mysterious about it. We're not going <laughs> to. That's a different <laughs> podcast. We're going to put you on the spot and make you tell us. It's exactly. a tough question. <laughs> oh, it is. It is. Next question. M&Ms or a Kit Kat? Hmm. Kit Kat, definitely. I like to freeze them, too. Do you, you all ever put them in the freezer? Oh. Extra special. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And they still snap. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I like both equally. I would say my choice is based on the the snacking venue. So a road trip, M&M's 100%. You can pass them around. You can share Kit Kat alone in bed while watching Ted Lasso. Uh, so <laughs> never, never met a chocolate I didn't like. I love Speaking that. Which, how did you like the ending of this season's Ted Lasso? I, so the, the end of two with sort of the beginning of evil Nate was compelling. And now where we are in three, I think three is the best season yet. Okay. The episode that took place in Amsterdam is one of yes. the most gorgeously shot episodes of television. I feel like I've seen in a long time. I'm really enjoying it. And then I'm also already kind of mourning that it's going to be over soon, like over for good soon. There'll be a season four, right? I don't think so. I think oh. they I think they planned for three from the beginning and that's what they're gonna stick to. Oh, that's sad. I know. Brad, we might as well be talking about football. I have no idea what's going on. Oh, yeah, I'm with you, Tiffany. Roy and I our faces are kind of scrunched, like, I don't know where this just went. <laughs> Ted Lasso, it's on Apple TV. Great series. A great series. Great now characters. Yeah. Lessons in leadership and organizational right. culture. That's and right. There's a lot of wisdom to the show, and it seems like it's about soccer, football, but it's but it's really not. It's really about life. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to another topic. And I, I'm guessing you'll get into this one. <laughs> Wonder Woman or Catwoman? Tough I topic. like Wonder Woman. I just think her outfit's awesome. So <laughs> I, I'll pick her. <laughs> Is Catwoman good or evil is she a, a nemesis i don't know i only know the original batman like michael keaton batman version it's, it's michelle pfeiffer right as catwoman i only know that portrayal of her but i feel like her full story across the comics and trajectory there's a good arc but if it's just evil catwoman i would go with wonder woman instead I thought you were going to say, then I would go with her. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh good. Gummy worms or gummy bears? I like gummy bears better. Just gummy vitamins. I don't care for gummy worms or gummy bears. Okay. I resonate with that. Someone recently asked me my favorite candy, and I said, airborne gummies. I, that has got to be the weirdest <laughs> reply ever, but it's the truth. Okay, the last one. And this is the most important one rock music or pop music? Rock and roll. 
I would have to say. All right. Good answer. Also rock, 100%. So give us one sample of your favorite rock groups. I can I can get a little out of control <laughs> talking about music. Um, I'm a big fan of the sort of jam band rock arena. So was a, a big Grateful Dead fan in my youth and followed Fish around the country. Uh, now Spafford is my favorite band. And it's close to home. My husband's a luthier. He's a guitar builder. And so he builds musical instruments for bands that play music like that. So it's, wow. uh, it's a fun part of life and my absolute favorite thing to do. See Rocky. Awesome. Oh, wow. That is amazing. I would just have to say Metallica, you know, classic rock. They came out coming out this new album. My husband and my daughter and son all play guitar and they're yes. like learning Metallica. So oh. you can't oh. you really can't go wrong with Metallica. <laughs> I love these guests. I say there was your winning question right there, Brad. Absolutely. Awesome. All right, getting serious. So one of the fun things I think of when we have more than one guest at a time is also kind of seeing the uh, relationship, the vibe, I guess you could say, between the two people. You can sometimes see the banter and it's so fun for us, but let's kind of rewind a little bit. How did the two of you get connected as colleagues? Well, we actually have known each other for over a decade. We met in 2010 when we were doctoral students at Arizona State University in curriculum and instruction studies. So we've been friends for a long time. We ended up actually being executive editors of the journal there called Current Issues in Education, which was an open access peer reviewed journal. So we've known each other for a while. Wow, very cool. When I started my position at USC now over six years ago, I knew that we were going to grow pretty quickly. And I had Rory in mind for the first opportunity to expand our talent pool. She was the the first addition to my team. I knew she would add incredible value and she has just, it's remarkable. So it's fun to look back on us meeting each other long ago in our studies and still continuing important work together today. When I approached Rory about being on the podcast, she wrote back immediately and said, can we also include my thought partner? Melinda in this experience. I thought that was such a great, great expression to describe your relationship. Thank you. Yeah. And we, you know, we actually just met a couple days ago. We were talking in Zoom and I said, I, I should have recorded this. This is, we're really coming up with some great new ideas when we just <laughs> philosophize about education. This could be an article, man. Yeah. Melinda is brilliant. So I'm really happy that we get to be friends and also collaborate at University of Southern California. Awesome. We're glad to have both of you here today. And the topics we're going to talk about today are near and dear to us, as we are always looking for ways to better engage students in online education. So what are some of the best practices that come to mind when you think about engaging online students? The first thing that always comes to mind for me in terms of engagement is accessibility. If the learning environment and all of its contents aren't accessible to every single member of the learning community, then every single member of the learning community cannot engage in it. And accessibility can mean uh, a variety of things from flexibility in modality 
to ensure that students are able to show what they know in ways that track and map to what their strengths are. It means ensuring that curriculum materials are available to students with a variety of different kinds of needs and learning styles. So engagement is accessibility first. How do we show what we know? How is knowledge measured? Asking those questions as a teacher very intentionally in an online learning environment, I think, sets students in the community up for success. Hmm. And to go along with that accessibility, I really try to focus on who the learner is. You know, who am I teaching to? What are their interests? What are their wants? What are their needs? Where do they get confused? How are they motivated? How do I make learning for adults relevant today? So really focusing on, you know, if it's a Zoom room, who's in your Zoom room, if it's a classroom, you know, who are you speaking to? And really embracing that. So just to go off track a little bit, what's the process for online course creation at USC? So within Bovard College, which is part of the portfolio that Rory and I support, courses are developed by subject matter experts on our faculty in terms of their content. But the design is supported by a skilled team of instructional designers. So it's a collaboration between a subject matter expert or a team of subject matter experts who really know data analytics in hospitality and tourism. And they'll bring forth, you know, these are important learning objectives. These are important assessments that map to those. And then an instructional design team will take the wisdom of the subject matter experts and really structure it into a quality assured universal design for learning approach so that everything is very consistent for the student experience, really removing the cognitive load of where will I find my syllabus? It's all structured and looks and feels and functions the same. And then we have revision processes based on data collected from the courses that are similar, working with SMEs um, who provide content advice and then instructional designers who put it all together. So when that process is finished, then do you have master courses that are copied out into shells? across the, the programs? We do. Roy, you want to share a little about our like duplication model? Sure, yeah. Well, we have five master's programs online, professional studies. And after the master's are made, they're copied for the individual professors. And that's really where I think the professors, the faculty get to put their individual spin on the courses. So, you know, they add announcements, they participate in the discussion board. That's where we post all of our video recordings of the classes too. Teachers can share files, slides, information like that too. Very good. Excellent. Yeah, so kind of going off of that modality piece, and the difference between you've got the SMEs and the instructional designers putting the course together and then an instructor that teaches a course that's pretty well prepared for them and then kind of trying to insert themselves. Where do the various synchronous and asynchronous components come into play? Which ones are already crafted in and which ones are at the instructor's discretion? Synchronous is 100% at the instructor's discretion. So while every course has a set of teaching notes, a set of lecture notes, that kind of is the beginning, we strongly encourage faculty to use their applied experiences, their backgrounds, their expertise as professionals, cases that they've seen come to life, activities that they know will work really well, and bring those into synchronous instruction. So the lecture notes are a starting point that faculty 
update, adjust, tailor really to their approach to instruction. In the asynchronous pieces, there are some things that are sort of always a part of the course architecture, like focus questions that discussion boards are based upon, for example. But then there's an open-ended discussion as well that's really focused on the bridge between the synchronous and asynchronous environment where students are posting key takeaways from the live session, asking questions, faculty are following up with additional observations, and they're using what's coming out of the participation post in order to further scaffold instruction as the course continues. So I think it's a nice balance. And in those other kind of signature pieces, faculty feedback to students on their work is an incredibly mostly asynchronous (laughs) component of course instruction announcements. Some faculty will create mini lectures for students to watch asynchronously. So I would say it's a nice blend in the case of the programs that we're referencing. So when you think about synchronous conversations as part of those online courses, are those an expectation for faculty and for students? Uh, Weekly. Weekly, there is a synchronous live session. The length depends on the program. Learning outcomes, it might be 60 or 90 minutes, for example. Students are expected to attend and participate in synchronous sessions, though Our student profile, they're working professional students. They have careers and jobs and families and, you know, the balance of day-to-day life. So they're scheduled at times that are intentionally the end of the workday. Recordings are also available to students after class. Should a student need to miss class, they're able to review the recording and still contribute, still participate, um, just not in real time. Very good. Thanks for listening on the Digital to Learn podcast. We're going to pause here, but we'll be back next week with Rory Schmidt and Melinda Thomas. Join us then. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.